Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Well, this is Thomas Hill, your host, and welcome to Word from the Herd. And I am so excited today because I'm being joined all the way from San Diego, California by Amy K. Hutchins. Now, Amy's an international and award-winning speaker, and I don't know what that means to most people, but when you read the list of things that she's done and accomplished, it's really impressive. And I'm, I'm re- actually kind of jealous of some of the companies she's gotten to work for, especially Lockheed Martin. Those guys really ring my bell, but she's worked for IBM, Wells Fargo, Walmart, uh, many, many more. She's got two decades of experience in training, coaching, and consulting with these companies to help them do a better job of communicating. Kind of her mantra is uh, one conversation at a time. And she has a new book. Her latest book is called Get It, Five Steps to the Sex, Salary, and Success You Want. Amy, I'm going to read that book uh, very, very soon and because uh, I, I would like to have all of those things the way I want them. Why, who wouldn't? And basically, uh, she reaches out to executives, business owners, influencers, uh, really anybody who wants to achieve things in life so that they understand how to do that in a way that doesn't cause them to say things they're going to regret or to ruin the relationships that we all rely on. And so really your thing, Amy, is communications. Would you say that that's, that's correct? Spot on. Spot on. Well, good. Now, I've gotten a chance to be with Amy a couple of times, and if I had to describe her, I would say, if I just had to pick words to describe you, Amy, I would say dynamic, energetic, enthusiastic, but probably the best word is just fun. You are just a fun person to be with. And so thank you so much for joining us. Just welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. So um, you've, you've got a, a ton of experience in, in handling uh, communications and how we relate to one another and all those things. One of the ways that we talk about valuing each other in this value culture that we're promoting is to illuminate the vision. A leader really has a, a, a job to do in, in casting a vision, but then just casting it isn't enough. People have to understand the vision, have to understand where we're going. So illuminating the vision, which is kind of respecting and listening and giving people a voice all at the same time, right? I know a lot of leaders think that they have communicated their vision well. I mean, it's what we're supposed to do, right? And we know it, it's in our heads, it's in our hearts, and we tell other people. But I know a lot of times they're not really effective. And so I was wondering if you could share, uh, you have so much experience, I've talked to so many leaders, maybe some communication misses, as it were, and how they could have done something different or maybe revised the way they were communicating that would have made that work better. Well, I really believe that you know, whether you're a leader or not, we were all given this voice box, but it didn't come with instructions. So figuring <laughs> out how to communicate effectively is it just a foundational skill of, of brilliant leaders, but it is a skill set and we can all learn it. And one of the things, Thomas, that I think happens with the vision is there are ubiquitously what I have seen in 28 years of doing this is that there are three misses. And I think that it's really sad because as you pointed out, a vision is fundamental. To, to a success of an organization. I mean, it's just fundamental. Now, there are a lot of things that go into the success of a company, but without a vision, you're not going to go anywhere. Right. And so one of the things that I've noticed is that the three misses that I see most often is the first is that leaders often do what I call the two-step dance. 
instead of the five-step dance. And the two-step is, you know, hey, this is me, this is my dream, and you go execute it. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> okay, that's not going to fly. But the five-step dance when it comes to a vision is, right, this is me, and this is the struggle that I've personally experienced. So notice I didn't start with dream. I started with struggle. Oh. And then I moved to a we. And I find common ground with you and I to be able to say, hey, let's have an emotional connection. Can we identify that this is either a tension or a pain point or a frustration that at a human level we can align around? So that's just the first two steps. And then the third step is the truth. Hey, I have this solution. It worked for me. It's working for you. What if we shared it at a bigger level and had a bigger impact? So now you're starting to get alignment right there. And then, and only then, do you say, now, your role is so significant, your expertise, I can't do this without you. You know, now if we're going to go have this vision happen, you need to feel the significance of what you bring to it. And then you go back to the we. And that, that final step is where you cast out the vision. You talk about the impact globally. And so what I, what I wish leaders would do is to have patience and say, ah, oh, the whole point of a vision is to connect with my people so that they feel significant so that we can go cast a vision together. And that's very different than I have a dream, you make it happen. Absolutely. You know, I've heard it said, in fact, my dad likes to tell me this, that um, when we share our failures, we build bridges. And when we share our successes with people, we build walls. And it sounds like you're talking a little bit the same thing because what surprised me is right out of the shoot, what you're suggesting is, is that we should kind of open up and, and talk about why, kind of why the vision's important to us from a standpoint of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, where, are, where, the, where the pain is that we're trying, because that's what we're all trying to do, right? When we're moving something forward, it's to, it's to make something better, to improve something, which means that we're coming from a position of something hasn't worked before or we're not where we want to be. And, and so what you're suggesting that we as leaders do is share that pain. That's kind of counterintuitive because a lot of us were raised thinking that to tell anybody that we don't know everything and that we're not completely confident and we don't have all the answers, that nobody would follow us if we admitted to the fact that, that, that we need help or that we don't know anything. And you're actually saying that that's where we should start is by kind of sharing that with, with people and connecting with people in that moment of weakness. Is that what I'm hearing you say, Amy Kay? Well, it's vulnerability. And I think that, oh, that yes. you know, that leads to accessibility. It leads to approachability. And so, and that's, and, and so when I talk about that, like one of, one of my, one of the worst experiences that I had with a lack of vision was me doing this very internal, very self-serving. I worked for a company at the time. I was the senior vice president of operations and I would spend every day, like, these guys have no vision. All they want is the money. They have no vision. They have no vision. All they want is the money. Well, you know, Mia culpa, five years later, I run into the CEO in a totally different state, a totally different experience. And he looks at me and you cannot make this stuff up, Thomas. He says, you know, I never really understood what you did. And I thought, are you <laughs> kidding me? I ran your operations. I increased your sales. And then I realized, oh, you know why? He didn't have a vision. And that's what I focused on, but here's where I'm responsible. I never communicated my vision and I never asked him where we were going. And so I really do believe that when leaders can take vision and say, hey, look, I'm expressing it. And then we as 
followers of that vision also ask questions and also push back and also say, well, here's my vision about your vision, then the conversation completely changes. So that was a really eye-opening experience because I was all in the, he doesn't have a vision. I was like, no, I didn't have a vision either. So I was like, you know, a little guilty on that one. Yeah, that's so often, I think, you know, the things that, that bother us or the things that we notice about other people are, are often indicators of areas that we have weaknesses also. And it's, it's surprising to me how often I'm just upset with somebody else, but I'm not willing to look at myself. And a lot of times if I do that, I'm like, oh, that's something that I need to work on. That's something that I could do better on. So that's, that's really insightful. So I want to ask you an off-the-wall question. Uh, I like to ask all of our guests this question uh, just because it's kind of fun. And that is, tell me about, tell me a story about the worst job you ever had. Because I know you've been in a lot of places. So there's got to be a good story here. There is a really good story. So I, I have to start that with, there's so many jobs that I love. You know, there's so many things that I've done. And one time I came home, this was really early on. I was about 18 years old. I came home from my first year of college and I just, I needed a schmo job is really what I needed. And that's what I call it, a schmo job. And so through a friend of a friend, I ended up working at a proctologist's office. Oh my and goodness. All I was allowed to do, because obviously I had no medical training, I wasn't in nursing, I had nothing to do with that. So all I was allowed to do was the office administrivia, the filing, but here's what made it so bad. The people that I worked with. So there were a bunch of women in the office that were gossipy, that were competitive, that did not make me feel very welcome. It was a very strange environment. And I was so bored, I was so bored <laughs> that I started like filing files out of alphabetical order just so I'd have something to do the next day to fix. And, and I realized at that point that, first of all, it told me that, yes, I felt called to serve. Like, yes, I, you know, I was doing a good job for people who were sick, but I didn't feel like that was my path. It wasn't aligned with my gifts and talents. It wasn't aligned with my joy. You know, the prior summer, I'd been a camp counselor at a drama camp with little kids. And it was like, okay, I love that job. So it just was, it was a great experience for me to have early on that, if we, if we bring it full circle, you have to have a vision for your people too. And so this would be miss number three that I always talk about if I, if I were to finish that. So many times the vision is either murky or foggy for either our internal folks or our external you know, impact. And so I joke, I'm from San Diego. We talk about May gray, we talk about June gloom and it's this marine layer and you can't see the water. You know that it's there but you can't see it. And that's the same thing that happens is like when your people come in and like, oh, you know, we probably have a vision. Like we can guess to what it is, but we can't really see it. We know it's there, but that is terrible for your overall success. But it also really negatively impacts your culture. Because when your people, like when you don't have a vision for the talent that you wanna hire, where you want that talent to be three or four years down the road, if you don't have um, a vision for developing what that culture is going to look like and the impact that you're going to have on the, on the community, then people don't know how to play and they don't know how to play better going forward. Absolutely. So you're, you're kind of headed the way that of, the, of the next question. You're almost answering the next question I wanted to ask you, but, but go a little deeper into, uh, and maybe, maybe if you have a story uh, of some place that you saw this, um, but what are some of the other reasons why 
effectively and accurately communicating that vision is so vital uh, to an organization and so vital to the success of a leader? Well, I think it's because if when we don't communicate it, then people are confused. And when they're confused and they, they don't actually know the right decisions to make, they don't know how to prioritize their commitments, they don't know actually how to drive the business forward faster in a way that actually has a tremendously positive impact. And so even, even like one of the misses that I see too, is that people will come out and they'll say, oh, you know, this is our vision, but it's not, it's their mission. And, you know, that's a big difference. A mission defines the business, but a vision describes where the business is going. Absolutely. And so it's a very, again, we, we can understand our purpose, but how are we driving that purpose to make a difference? Um, and so I think one of the things, and this is, this is probably going to sound really trite, but I have to tell you, I really believe it. A vision is created one conversation at a time. And so it's so important that we as leaders show up to our meetings, whether they're on Zoom or go to meeting or whether they're face to face these days, but we show up and we take vision one step at a time. And so much of that is also listening back. It isn't just about communicating, it's a two-way dynamic in communication. Absolutely. I, you know, as, as we kind of developed the vision at Kimray, uh, we realized that that what you just said, the difference between mission and vision, and as I work with leaders, it shocks me how often I say, okay, so do you have a vision for your company? And they say, yeah, and they bring me their mission statement. And I'm like, well, that's not a vision. That's your mission. That, that's why you exist, but you're not, telling, you're not telling me anything about where you're going or how you're going to get there or what, or what the purpose is for, for the kind of the journey you're on. And therefore, it's very difficult for anybody else to get involved in that journey. Uh, to find themselves part of the narrative that we as leaders are, are kind of writing. And so that's, that's outstanding. That's very, very important. So you just said something that I, that I think is really, really important, and I want you to go a little deeper into. You said communication is a two-way activity, right? So there's, there's the listening and the talking, the communicating and the listening kind of deal. And, and that, I understand and believe that that is so important to communicate that we value people by listening to them, why are we so bad at listening? And what can you tell me that will help me as a leader be better at listening? Because I want that. I want to do that, but I'm, I'm just not very good at it sometimes. Well, I think the ability to share our story is one of the greatest gifts that we can both give and receive. I mean, we, we share to be understood and we listen to understand. And if, if we can take that foundational piece into every conversation, you know, the, one of the greatest things that people want is to be respected, accepted, understood, and belong. And so like, here's, here's a great example. This is a personal example. This is a recent story, but I think it applies really well to vision. So a coaching client of mine is going through a divorce right now. And he was sharing that he'd gone into therapy and invited his um, young adult daughter. So she's going off to college. This is a late in life divorce. And in the therapy session, she accused him of doing something that he's like, I didn't do. She's like, she's getting all this misinformation from my soon to be ex-wife. He was so angry about it that he stomped out. And so all they have right now is this unresolved issue. They have tremendous tension. They have no direction for where they're going. They have no vision for what this is gonna look like on the other side because they're not talking, right? He right. didn't listen. And so to me, and I'm just coaching him and I said, you know, what would have been 
the value of saying to her, staying in that moment, sitting in your discomfort, sitting in your anger and realizing that this is her lived experience. This is her story. You don't have to deny or refute it. You don't have to defend or deflect. What if you had just leaned in and said, wow, if that were true, that's a very painful thing to hear. Or he could have said, you sound so frustrated or you sound so angry and she would have felt heard. And it's only by showing people that you're willing to sit in that discomfort and stay focused on them that you get through to the other side. And that's something that I really believe. I really believe that the life that you desire is on the other side of a tough conversation. And when you're willing to get through that tough conversation, you get more of what you want. And so bringing that back to professional, every time a leader can sit with somebody, even in discomfort and hear them without being defensive, without deflecting, you don't have to agree, but you do have to listen. You're gonna make so much progress faster to getting what you want. It's so critical what you just said um, and in, in the current kind of situation we're in in our culture and in our communities, I think there's a lot of fear that if I listen to someone, I'm somehow agreeing with them or somehow that you know, I, I don't know exactly what all people are feeling, but, but there, there's a fear that if I'm willing to listen and not correct or not say, well, I don't believe that or I don't think that's right or I didn't do that or whatever, that if I just listen, that somehow... I've lost something. Somehow I'm losing, and we tend to make things a battle. And and how important would it be if leaders, well, if everybody, but certainly for us as leaders, again, if we're trying to get people to listen to us, the best way to listen to get listened to is to listen first. Would you agree with that? I mean, if if we hear other people, then they're going to be more willing to hear us. That's that transparency. We kind of have to take the lead, and how critical it is for us to do that. But it's so hard. So, do you have any? You, you mentioned some things about uh, about the kind of things that you can say versus the things that we normally want to say or the things we're just kind of naturally caused to say. Give me a little bit more there about how, as a leader, um, when my people are 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 telling me their their lived experience, uh, the term you used, under my leadership, right? So sometimes that's going to be about me, or it's going to be about the company that I'm running and the things that are valuable to me and my history. And, you know, certainly in my situation, it's my family's company, three generations of, of my family. So if you're saying something about Kim Ray, you're really saying something about really foundationally about me. How do I, what are the tools that I can use to sit there? What are some things that I can have going on in my head so that I do that well and so that I really do listen and people feel heard in that situation? Well, I think there's two different things that you can think about. One is what's happening inside your own head. So for instance, if you find yourself that you're starting to listen for where the person is wrong, then you're feeling defensive. So for instance, if I bring, if I bring an issue to a leader and I say something like, hey, this isn't working, you're going to listen for the one example where I'm wrong. You're gonna to listen to where you can refute me because you're feeling defensive. And so that's just a self-awareness of, oh, I'm not really listening. I'm actually, I'm, I'm looking for where this person is wrong so I can defend or I can deflect. So that's just kind of a self-awareness. The other thing that I think that's really important is that people need to feel heard. And so rather than cutting them off, when you say things such as, is there more? Is there, is there anything else that you wanna say? Or just simply that, say more. Or help me understand, can you give me another example? What you're saying to them is that what they're sharing is valid that there is significance and worth to their voice. Now, again, 
you don't have to agree. So like if I go back to, to my, my coaching client in, in therapy, listening to his daughter doesn't make her right. It makes her feel heard. And that's really important for us as leaders to take the high road and be mature about the fact that just because I listen to you doesn't mean that I believe in what you're saying or that I agree with you. It means that I honor the worth of your experience, your perception. And so a lot of times in the boardroom, leaders will be like, well, that's not what we meant. I mean, that certainly wasn't our intention. And it's like, okay, it may not have been your intention, but it's their truth. It's their reality and you can't argue with their reality. So it's just, it's just about flipping that switch. I have, I have definitely been guilty of that. And it's even worse when you kind of consider yourself to be a good communicator. Um, you know, you feel like you're, you're presenting things well and you're communicating clearly and I use good English and I write well and, and you kind of get in your head, I, I've said this and they should all understand it. And then they say something that just doesn't match at all. And you just really, you just kind of want to scream, but I didn't say that. That's not what I did. But that's so great to, to just be able to not respond that way. The other thing, one of the other things you said was, uh, you know, probing for more, asking for more. That's also very difficult because especially if what they're doing is, is coming across to me as a leader as somewhat critical of what I've done or, or you know, there's something missing for that person, we don't want to hear more negative stuff, right? I mean, that's not, as a human being, we're not looking for people to give us more information that contradicts how we feel or what's going on. And so that's that's got to be a something that really has to be intentional on the part of the leader. And, you know, we just have to remind ourselves that leadership isn't easy, right? I mean, we're not doing something that's simple or easy. We're doing something that's actually difficult and complicated. And our role as a leader or an influencer is to do the hard thing, right? Is to be the one that's out in front in terms of, of, of kind of taking the risk. And that's risky, right? And that kind of that, that kind of openness, that kind of conversation, there is risk there, which is kind of what we feel and, and why we shy away from that. That is so good. Um, I got I got one other question for you. I probably have a ton of other questions, but at some point we'll run out of time. But you know, you've spent uh, most of your life talking to leaders about how to talk to people, about how to communicate, and this this concept of uh, you know kind of your best life or, or what you want out of life is on the other side of a difficult conversation. Unpack that a little bit because. I don't know if I don't know if you mean that all of us have some problem that we need to resolve or or just that the kinds of conversations that get us moving forward are just by the nature of being human difficult. I mean w- tell me a little bit more about something being on the other side of a difficult conversation for me as a leader or as an influencer. Life is hard. Life is quirky. Life is messy and not everybody sees the world the way that we see it, which I think is a really great thing. I mean, I, I love the diversity that we have in the world. I love the different perspectives. I love the different approaches and the ways that people see things. But that also means that we're going to have conflict. And um, one of the things that's really hard for leaders who are go-getters and type A and overachievers is that you're going to misstep because you're still human and you're mm-hmm. still quirky and life is messy and you are going to step in it. And you can't step out of it until you own it. And I think that that's what I mean by a tough conversation. So it could be everything from 
an underperformer at work to a difficult board member. It could be the conflict that you have with a business partner. It could be a difficult teenager. It could be um, one of those inflection points in your marriage that's seminal to whether you're going to make it or break it. And, and to me, it's not that you can avoid these conversations. In fact, I almost feel like the, the, the more that you avoid the tough conversation, the further and further away you get from reaching your own potential and creating the life that you desire. But when you learn to navigate your way through the conversations, it's kind of like a, a great, I, I'm from San Diego, so I'm going to use a wave analogy. So many times when we, when we get hit by a wave, like that crash we'll come up for air and we're struggling and it hits the next wave hits us. And so we never learn how to dive under the wave. We never learn how to flow with it or ride under it so that we can come up for air and breathe. And that to me is, is a great analogy for when you learn how to let the waves roll over you and you learn how to dive under them, you can come up for air. It doesn't mean that you're not swimming. It doesn't mean that you're not paddling and working very hard. It means that you're learning how to navigate the choppy water so that you can reach shore safely. And that to me is what it's all about, whether it's casting a vision, talking to an individual, having a wonderful relationship at home. It's about knowing that you can't avoid conflict. It's how you address it that's going to actually get you what you want. Oh, that's wonderful. So if I'm a leader of an organization um, every once in a while, it, it is necessary to kind of play the leader card, right? I, around here, we call it playing the CEO card. I try to do that less than once a year, if I can, if I can pull that off. Tell me a little bit about when that, when that does become necessary, because sometimes you can't get everybody to line up. Um, you, you know, time, you know, there's a lot of things that come into the factor of I just need everybody doing this today and, and I'm going to do the, hey, I'm the CEO and this is the decision we've made and we're, we're going to move forward. You have to do that every once in a while. But, but when you have to do that, Amy Kay, is there, is there anything else that you can combine with that that, that helps smooth that over? Am I making sense? Because, I mean, sometimes we just have to say, I know you don't understand me and I know you don't see where I'm going, but I need you to do this. Tell me how that conversation can go that that's more healthy and more beneficial for the person versus me just saying my way or the highway. Cause that's kind of, I think that's kind of how it feels or what it sounds like to people. We may not intend that. So how can we make that intention better? Well, I think it comes full circle. It's the vision. It comes back to this is where we're going and this is why I'm making the decision that I'm making. And this is the thought process behind it. And I think that that's always a great place to start is that, so I'm making this decision or I'm drawing this line in the sand. This is my prerogative as leader, which you have every um, right to do. It's how you do it. So it's kind of like what you said, you know, it's my way or the highway is not as inclusive <laughs> as I appreciate all of the input. I respect everyone's perspective. Here's the decision that I'm making. Here's why I'm making it. Here's the thought process that, that allowed me to reach this decision. And now I need unity of command. And unity of command means that there's one mission, there's one message, and we are sailing this ship together. And so unity of command is that wonderful expression of you're more loyal to the team that you play on than the team that you lead. And the team that you play on is this vision. Like we, we are on this team. And so 
one of the things that, that it, it, again, it doesn't mean that you can't fight for your own people. Like if you're in the marketing department, you can fight for marketing department behind closed doors. You can fight for operations or engineering or warehouse. But when a leader makes a decision, unity of command, by the way, comes from our United States Army. It's not my term. It's a term that um, they use. You go out and you go as an aligned team with one mission, one vision, one message. And that to me is a brilliant way to say, but we all understand why, because why was shared versus, oh, it's just Thomas's decision and he's in charge. So I guess we have to do it. You'll never get inclusion, buy-in, engagement if they feel like it's just the highway of Thomas. But if they feel like they've co-created it and they had a say, and maybe their say had an impact, but wasn't chosen, their voice still matters. Absolutely. Oh, that is, that is wonderful. Well, Amy, we're about to run out of time. Uh, I did want to revisit. You do have a recent book out called Get It! Exclamation point. So again, your enthusiasm, your, you know, your, your very energetic five steps to the sex, salary and success you want. I'm assuming that's available on Amazon and all the normal places that, that we find books. So I would encourage people. And then Amy Kay, you have been so generous. You have offered anyone who's listening to our podcast, a hundred dollars off your online course, the power of profitable conversations, which I have heard a lot of material out of that. You and I have had several conversations about that. It's fabulous stuff. I think every leader should go through that. And they can uh, access more information and sign up for that at www.amyk.com forward slash PPC, if I got that right. And the, the code they need to use for that, you've told us, is all capitals, H-E-R-D 100, HERD 100. And thank you for making the code uh, HERD. That's kind of cool. I like that. Uh, you can our our listeners can find out more about you at amyk.com. Uh, so you've got all kinds of information out there. Fabulous stuff. It has been wonderful talking you to, to you today. I kind of would like to talk to you every morning before I go to work. I feel like I would be a better leader if I could just have you in my head a little bit. So uh, I'll get some of your stuff on you know books on tape, and maybe I'll listen to you on my way to work every morning and make sure I've got that that vibe that you've got going on. Thank you again so much for being with us. It's, it's been wonderful. I hope you're doing well. I hope everything out in San Diego is great. And we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Oh, thank you, Thomas. Truly a pleasure. Thank you. You are very welcome. Well, this has been another episode of Word from the Herd. We're very excited that you have joined us. It's been wonderful talking to Amy K. Hutchins, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at thekimmelfdn. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.